Hey, welcome to the Art Condition Podcast, a weekly show that will discuss the business, community, and often undiscussed stress and mental health concerns of being a professional artist or even a serious hobbyist. I'm Joby. I've been in the tattoo and illustration professions for 25 years. My co-host is Moose, a data analyst, social media manager, and art agent. If you enjoy the content, please consider visiting the Patreon page and the show notes to help support the effort. Or if that's not an option, please like, subscribe, leave a good review, or just share with your friends. And definitely go visit the links of our guests on this episode. Thanks for listening and have a great day. This week, we are talking to Flo Young. Flo is a concept artist and art director at a startup indie game studio. Flo has had a lot of experience wearing a lot of different hats in the concept art world, as well as having worked for a short time as a freelance artist. This means she has a lot of valuable insight for newcomers and veterans alike. So we start by talking a bit about her career, its many twists and turns, and the lessons from her experience. We also talk a lot about what the inside of the industry is like and what the future might hold, both in terms of working conditions and the types of technologies that will define the game development industry in years to come. This is a really fun conversation. Flo's enthusiasm is infectious, and it's always a great joy to talk to someone who just really loves what they do. Let's listen. Well, hello, Flo. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming over and hanging out with us for a little bit today. Yeah, my pleasure. We're going to talk about a lot of cool, fun stuff. Um, but first, the most interesting, tell us about you and the history of Florida. Yeah, I'm so I... glad you asked me, and <laughs> I'm so glad I prepared for this. <laughs> um, so here is what I've written down. <laughs> Hi, I'm Flo, or Floop, or Poop, but only Moose gets to call me Poop. Um, I am known as Pop on Twitch. Uh, I like to draw and paint and play in 3D. I started in animation industry. I also worked in games and also theme parks. Uh, and now I'm making a mobile game. So how did you get into art? You know, what was, what's your background in how you came into art, how you got really like hooked and grabbed by it, uh, you know, how it sunk your teeth in and wouldn't let go. Um, so my earliest memories is watching anime. So I think it's safe to say that anime is what really got me into drawing. So, uh, f from the beginning, uh, Whenever I could open or whenever I could hold a pencil, that's when I started drawing. So I guess I just haven't stopped drawing since. Um, so yeah, I think uh, some of the first animes I've watched were a lot of um, kids' animes that come, came from Japan, but they were dubbed in Chinese because I watched a lot of Chinese TV growing up. Um, it's just whatever my parents would put on TV. And also a lot of Ghibli films. So that was a huge inspiration for me. Very gorgeous in, gorgeous environments, really great characters, and the stories were just so rich. 
um, and magical and fantastical. And that's what I like the most. Uh, yeah, but, uh, Gibi films don't hold a candle to Speed Racer. Am I right? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I think I what what I also liked was Sailor Moon. I was pretty obsessed with that growing up. Uh, and then came Pokemon and Dragon Ball Z. You know all the good stuff. Um, Hunter Hunter was a big one. Um, yeah, I mean, I could just sit all day and list every anime I've watched, but uh, we could just turn this into an anime podcast. Yeah, about, sure. All about them. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm you curious. You want to know to... about the current anime I'm watching? Sorry. Anyway, yeah. Next question. Yeah. What? No. No. What are you watching now? <laughs> okay, so currently I'm watching this anime called Zombie Land Saga, and <laughs> it's an idol anime so it's about a group of girls who sing and dance and perform <laughs> which is not my usual anime but this one has such a good story and all the characters are so great and they go into um how each girl has died and became a zombie and they come from different periods of history in japanese history so that's like one of the biggest interests of mine and yeah it's just really wholesome and it's about friendship <laughs> and it's a really great watch i highly recommend it that actually sounds r really cool uh i would check that out do they do actual do actual performances like is there music written for it you know where they're like performing and mm -hmm. stuff? yeah so each episode has a different theme it's uh uh what was i gonna say yeah, so so they have a song for each episode, and they have different themes. So the first one was heavy metal, and then they have a rock one, and then they have a pop one, and then they have like um, a historical Japanese themed one. Um, it's really it's really nice, and the animation is very sweet. The production is very high. Uh, usually, when I when I see my roommate watch idol animes, uh, the, they put 3D animation in it, and it's just like a little robotic, and they cut it in a certain way to kind of cheat the animation. But this one, they put a lot of heart into it, and it's very beautifully done. I've never heard the term idol anime. What what is that? Uh, it's it's like a, an idol, someone who is a star, and they sing and perform on stage. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I was thinking, I was like I D L E or I D O L. I know. Okay. Yeah, well, I, I D O L. I got, <laughs> I got you. I got you. Well, what was the connection point between anime into? Oh my god, I love art so much. I want to do this for a living. And then, oh, here's how I can actually do that. Okay, so anime is what started me drawing. Uh, how I started drawing. So I just wanted to draw pretty pictures that looked like anime. So I just started copying anime style. Um, I did a lot of copying. So I copied the characters. I copied the backgrounds. And I just did that over and over again because it was really fun. Um, I never thought it would be 
part of my profession. Um, as I was growing up, I always thought I was going to be an architect because maybe that way I could uh, put some drafting skills and engineering skills together because I was also interested in physics and science in general. So I'm like, yeah, I'm totally going to be an architect <laughs> until the final year of high school where you have to determine the rest of your life at that point. Yeah. And I saw, yeah, right. <laughs> My parents were not happy, but um, yeah, the final year of high school, there was a career festival where a lot of uh, schools had a booth to show what kind of programs they had. So we had a college um, version and that's where I saw the school that I went to. It's called Max the Mutt Animation School. Um, it's a little bit of a funny name, but uh, they showcased all of their students' artwork. Uh, there was a lot of paintings, uh, traditional paintings, like watercolors, gouache, oil paintings. And they had different programs, um, like illustration, sequential illustration for comic books. Um, and they had animation. Uh, they had 2D animation and 3D animation. And their newest program starting that, or they didn't start that year, but it was a pretty new program when I found out about it called Concept Art. And so they described it as doing art, design uh, art for film, video games, and animation. So I had, at that point, I had no idea that that was a career path I could take. And it looked like something, exactly something that I would enjoy a lot. So last minute, I'm like, mom and dad, this is it. This is the school I want, nothing else. <laughs> Even though I've applied to several universities and architecture programs. Um, but yeah, my heart was pretty set on that school. And it was a good time. Sorry if I sorry Are if I you, missed it. What what school was it? Uh, it's called Max the Mutt Animation School of Design. I don't know. They extended the name. Oh God, that's not professional. I should have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is in in Toronto, by the way, in Canada. It's Are you normally uh, this impulsive, or was this like? out of character for you to make a uh, big decision like this, what, what, to, what to go to school for on a whim. Okay, so I usually have a plan, but if something seems right, even though it's not in that same direction, if I feel very strongly about it, I will definitely go for that. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, so this school is called Max the Mutt College of Animation, Art, and Design. That's the full name. Why do they have to have such long names? Like, they, I don't they, know. they, they, all, they all love having super long. I, I don't know. It's, yeah. I don't, I don't <laughs> they get used it. to be called Studio M, which I much prefer, but uh, it's not my, not my choice. Not my decision. And the famous one in California that I can never remember the full name of either. 
anyway, that's it's neither here nor there. Um, so <laughs> you you did like a four year program in animation, and you you were you thought that animation was going to be the thing, or or was it concept art at the time? It, yeah, I chose concept art because um, I felt like animation was too uh, too involved. <laughs> I just like to paint and make pretty pictures. I had no desire to make it move, although I think it's a very cool thing to do. I I just I prefer to make still images. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so knowing a a little bit about your background i know that you've had a like very wide ranging career and you have dabbled in animation a little bit right so that well tell us when you came out of college like what what did you start doing did you get go right into a concept art field no i worked at the beer store for a little bit okay <laughs> well how did you start getting into the actual like art and design part yeah, so I didn't work at the beer store for long because um, a I got fired, and also uh, I got an offer at a animation studio. So one of my teachers from college was working at a studio called Nelvana, which is the oldest standing animation studio in Canada, and uh, she was art directing a new show. It's called uh, the Fresh Beat Band of Spies. So it, they do a lot of children's animation. And that was the very first project I worked on. So I feel like I was pretty lucky to have a teacher remember me and contact me after graduating and offer me this position. And I got to work on the backgrounds. So I was a background painter. When did it start transitioning into other areas? Like how, I don't want, I'm tempted for you to just be like, okay, give me like a play-by-play -play of the entire career history. But maybe give me <laughs> like, you know, some of the highlights. You've worked in animation. Uh, you've worked in games, uh, and then you've done, like you said, background, you've done concepting art, you know, between like when you left college to where you are now, what are some of like the big beats that you've hit along the way? Okay, sure. Um, so I was a background painting painter for a very long time. Uh, I've been working for seven years now. So I think five to six of those years, I worked as a background painter for uh, animation, <clears throat> excuse me. So I was also, I did a little bit of layout as well for animation, which is drawing the backgrounds for the background painters to paint. Uh, so, and then as I was doing background painting, I got a freelance offer to do some work on a, a Ubisoft I, IP. So I actually worked on Starlink um, and I worked on the cinematic portions of the video game. So what happened was that Ubisoft had hired a animation studio, which was literally across the street from their studio. And 
that animation studio uh, offered me the freelance position to work on some of the designs in the cinematic. So that was how I started in the video game industry. Um, that part of my career was very tough because I worked a full-time job in background painting and I was doing freelance. So I was barely getting any sleep. Um, but somehow I made it through and I worked eight months on uh, Starlink. That's pretty awesome. That's a pretty great gig to get under your belt, right? I'm mean, pretty quickly. Oh, for sure, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think it was just something I couldn't turn down. And that's why I did my full-time job and did the freelance on top of that. Um, so yeah, after that, um, I got very, like, if I have to be honest, I was, I, I was depressed for a little bit because I knew my heart wasn't into background painting. It was a lot of color by number. And there are a lot of artists who are just happy doing that. There's nothing wrong about that kind of, uh, work. Um, I think it's really great. But for me, my heart was very into design. So I wanted to become a concept art, uh, concept artist. Uh, and so when my contract ended, after several years of background painting, I just didn't renew it. <laughs> and I started looking for more concept art jobs. And that was when I got picked up by the theme park design firm that I've listed. Uh, so yeah, I started doing concept art for theme parks, which was a very fun thing to do, I found, because I worked very closely with architects, uh, which was one of my interests growing up. And I saw what they did, and I looked at their schematics, and I learned a lot about building materials and how things were built, which like really fun for my head. And that also got me into uh, started working in 3D. So what they had me do was learn SketchUp on the job. And I built very rudimentary, or, or sometimes I was given uh, 3D models from the architects. And then I would position a camera, uh, render that scene, and put it into Photoshop and paint over it. Uh, and also, before that, I had taken a matte painting course. So that also helped with photo bashing a lot of materials. And uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty fun. That's actually how I got started doing 3D and implementing that in my process. Yeah, the theme park and, part of your history was something that I was actually really curious about. <laughs> I mean, all the video <laughs> game design stuff, that's all good and well, but tell me more about the theme parks. <laughs> theme parks, yeah. Yeah, What? so like, what's involved in the concept work for a theme park? What is it that you're designing? What, are they, what do they want to see as part of that development process? Why do they need a concept artist? Right, so... Um, one of our biggest projects was to make a Lionsgate theme park. So a lot of their movies were 
what we themed the park after. Uh, so what needed to be designed were the shops, the restaurants, the uh, queue lines were a big part of it because you don't want to just stand in a boring old queue line. You need something interesting to look at while you're waiting sometimes hours to get on a ride. Um, so that's mainly what we did. I did a lot of interiors of coffee shops, restaurants, um, uh, gift shops were a, a huge one. Um, yeah, and we got jobs doing water parks as well. So that was pretty fun. At one point, we did a sci-fi looking water park, which is really, really fun. I made a little spaceship for the DJ or something like that. <laughs> it was pretty cool. That's It's so fascinating that there's so much work to be done. In, I mean, I can see like in the initial liftoff, you know, of a, of a theme park, but that's not something that you hear about getting built every day, you know, like theme park, like how many theme parks can they, can they be making? So is that like something, is that like steady work? Like if you can get into that, is that something that you would be able to work in indefinitely? I'm not quite sure. Uh, well, I know in Toronto there's two firms I don't know if there's more, but there's one big firm in uh, in Toronto. And then the firm that I worked off was kind of a branch off of that firm. And uh, a lot of the work we did were overseas. So the Lionsgate one was supposed to be built somewhere in Asia, um, but it never got built because uh, there's a little bit of a corruption going on there. There's there's a uh, a lot of money laundering and construction apparently. So <laughs> one of our one of our biggest projects was uh, canceled because of that. Um, so yeah, I think uh, how we got some of these jobs were just through connections because there's not a lot of theme park design firms in general. Uh, a lot of our connections are through other companies in California, um, also other major cities in the US. And so uh, sometimes if they need help with the amount of work they get from a client, then they would uh, ask for our help, uh, which I find is mostly the case in any kind of industry in Canada. There's not a lot of Canadian-made content, so a lot of our service is services to U.S. companies. So I think that played a major role on how I got all these weird jobs here and there. Um, yeah, I hope that answered the question. <laughs> oh, yeah, Just a small piece of, bit of a trivia to throw in there um, in regard to the uh, corruption. I forget where I heard this from, but uh, you can basically uh, measure the amount of mob activity in a city by how, how much it costs to uh, pour a square foot of concrete there. So it's really high in Las Vegas. It's really high in New York City, for example. So There you go. <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> That's fascinating, actually. <laughs> yeah. I learned a lot on that job. <laughs>
Uh, yeah, that you can learn about the corruption in or related tangential to the industry that you're actually working in while you have that job is um, that means it's got to be bad. <laughs> it <means> it's got to <laughs> be like really bad because people aren't keeping their mouth shut. They're just like, yeah, whatever. This is drug money from Honduras and we're going to put it in this theme park. No problem. <laughs> yeah. No FBI raids. Um. So you were saying that you started learning 3D there. Uh, mm-hmm. it, did that really grab you? Were you like, oh, man, this is uh, this is the next level. This is what I want to do. Or were you still kind of like more attached to, to 2D drawing and painting? Um, yeah, so part of my four program, four year program in college, uh, we got to dabble in Maya. Uh, so I think Maya and ZBrush. So when I got to do that in school, I my brain was like on fire. I really enjoyed doing that kind of stuff, uh, even though at points I'm just I don't understand what I'm doing, but I'm doing it. <laughs> um, so learning 3D in, in the theme park design firm that. Uh, was really great for me. I think SketchUp was really fun because it's a CAD program. You can literally just sketch on the plane and extrude, and it just was very easy for me to understand um, uh, comparing that to Maya. Uh, and then after SketchUp, I actually was encouraged to learn Blender. So that is the first time I started using Blender for my work. Um, And I also dabbled in rendering my models in Octane. Um, And I almost was about to learn Revit, which is an architecture program. But I was let go. (laughs) From the theme park gig? Uh, yeah, it's just not enough projects coming in at that point. So, <laughs> oh, I was hoping that there was something involving a mob boss. That that was the only. Thing I, <laughs> I wish that was the case. Or do I? Um, <laughs> but that was actually how I got into more freelancing. That's when uh, you and Moose and all the other artists on Twitch started the uh, fantasy on fantasy artists on Reddit. So. Yeah. And I remember you were the one that uh, I think I was, I'd spitballed like $25 an hour or something like that. And you were like, can we please make it 30? And we were just <laughs> sticking with that sense. Um, even though it's really weird how like just that $5 makes some people so uncomfortable to charge that, that difference. Like they think they will get no work at that number. And then since then we've had some artists like move up to like closer to 50 to 75 and, <laughs> and they're up there when at the, just at the start, 30 sounds like a lot. Yeah, um, I, I'm so glad that that worked out because that was uh, exactly what I was aiming for at the time because I was just sick of the low-paying jobs that we that I kept getting. Um, so I really wanted to see if I could start freelancing and earning a little bit more with 30 an hour. Um, yeah. And then there's also the bit of a the um, copyright stuff. So if you're actually producing it for a client that's intending to use it, it's different from uh, producing homebrew uh, content for 
know, for the D and D character or whatever. But a lot of people don't put that uh, into account when they're coming up with the prices, right? Yeah, that is very important to know because if they're going to be using it for their product and they're going to be earning money off of your work, you should definitely include that in your price. We were lucky that we knew uh, a few like actual professional professionals <laughs> who could like make some suggestions <laughs> like that and save us from from doom. Um, I, I, I wanted to ask a little bit more about 3D. There, there's <laughs> yeah. there's so many there's so many 3D modeling platforms out there. And I, do you keep up you so you you've kind of dabbled in a lot of them um there's a few questions here is there one that you like really stick with you're like this is the one and also like how do you know like which one you're gonna need to know or gonna want to use okay so i always advocate for blender um i think for any artists out there i think nowadays especially they highly recommend blender because not only is it free uh, it also is a open source program so there are tons and tons of resources for it online and you can easily find youtube videos you can find different scripts to help you with your work so um like recently i really didn't want to start making buildings for my concept art, but uh, it was required of me to come up with all these different looking buildings. So I went ahead and looked for a script that will um, uh, procedurally build buildings, uh, help me build buildings in Blender, and I found a free one. And I just, like, it was so easy to just download the script and put it in Blender and start using it. And it came with a little YouTube video on how to use it. And, yeah, it's, Blender is great. <laughs> if you're going to start on any 3D program, start with Blender. Yeah, I recently just found, I can't remember, now I, I'm putting my foot in my mouth, I can't remember exactly where I saw it. But it was some tutorial about constructing height maps. Like using Photoshop to make um, grayscale height maps, and then you know somehow transmitting that to the 3D platform that can read the different grayscales as different heights, and then you, it'll you'll just be able to like instantly build. Well, not, not instantly, but it goes from like these black and white <laughs> variations, <instant. laughs> yeah. yeah, black and white variations. <laughs> to this like awesome like crazy cityscape that you can then like manipulate and 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 move and yeah that that there's so many and it seems like they're always coming up with like new and interesting ways to make things like super easy it's getting to the point where like why not why not know it you know it's like just getting easier and easier to use the blender thing is interesting because it's it's free um but then there's also this sort of like wall between Blender and the greater, you know, industries where 3D is being used because everybody's so stuck on ZBrush, you know, and it's like hard to make that transition. But at the same time, it's like, God, why not? Like, why are you going to pay $700 for your license versus this like free program? 
Yeah, I, I totally understand that. Um, for me, this is how I think about it. If you're if you're just interested in doing concept art and having 3D as a sort of a supporting thing to help you jumpstart your painting, I would just start with Blender. I maybe ZBrush if you have the money, but um, with programs like ZBrush, Maya, all the all the expensive ones like 3DX Max, I think that was a, a that's a pretty big one too. Uh, I would only get into that if you're if you want to be a 3D artist, if you want to uh, actually do models for the industry, if you want to actually be a surface artist for uh, 3D studios. Um, that is the only time I would get into those kinds of programs. If you want to do 3D animation, uh, that's when I would go into Maya. Uh, yeah, but for concept art, use whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah, if the industry space that you're working in doesn't absolutely require a particular platform. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you were working in a in a studio, you know, in a kind of like you you were you had a reliable gig, <laughs> and then um, that ended. So you're like, okay, gonna go freelance. What made you want to try freelance though, as opposed to trying to get a, a new, like a new studio gig or a new reliable paycheck, so to so to speak? Honestly, I did freelance um, to just sustain myself until I could find another studio job. Um, so yeah, money, <laughs> uh, being able to pay my bills. Um, but also, uh, I really liked D&D, and I really liked doing character art for other people who love D&D. So I really liked the fact that you guys had made the fantasy artist uh, group, and I thought that was such a great idea because I love drawing my own D&D characters. So I, I thought that would be really fun to extend that to uh, other fans. Uh, what level of success did you find uh, in your freelancing versus um, in your uh, studio work? Um, for freelance, I got quite a few clients, like just a handful, I think, maybe one or two client per month when I was doing the fantasy artist thing with you guys. Uh, so I think that was pretty successful in my eyes i don't know i had the bar pretty low because i didn't want to like crush my expectations <laughs> too much um, i think it comes also, down to uh marketing right like if you had yeah. gone balls to the wall on uh putting plastering your work everywhere that you could possibly put it you could have got a lot more but then you would have been in uh, blake's situation where he ended up with a list of 40 people on his yeah. waiting list at all times and maybe that wasn't what you were looking for yeah, no, I think um, because uh, I consider myself as kind of a slow painter, uh, I'm much slower than he is. So uh, I think I was trying to consider how many clients I can manage as well. And also at the time, I had a little bit of leeway because I had moved back in with my parents. So my mom almost charged me rent, but thank goodness. 
my dad intervened. <laughs> that was super helpful. <laughs> so the amount of clients was um, in my sweet spot, I think. How long were you doing that before you found new work in a studio? Um, I think I spent seven months looking for a studio job. So I did seven months of uh, freelancing. Is that a long time or is that kind of, I, I don't well, I don't know if there's a way to guess like what the average is, but uh, was it? Yeah, it what, really what was, depends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really depends. Um, what I found was that it, it's kind of seasonal, um, especially in the indie game studios because Oftentimes, they would be prepping for a uh, applying to grants, uh, government grants. So usually that happens in the summertime. And once they get that grant, that is when they uh, vamp up on hiring artists um, and uh, other employees. So it's a little bit of a seasonal thing, but it's also very um, individual to the studio uh for film it's a little bit similar um i don't know if they apply to grants or anything but usually it depends on when they film uh their stuff um and for animation it yeah it really depends on the studio and their scheduling uh yeah. Were you being uh, super picky with uh, which uh, studios you were applying for, or were you doing more of a carpet bombing approach and applying to everything you found? A little bit of both. <laughs> so my target was um, I wanted a design uh, job, so either concept art or visual development for animation. Um, I didn't apply to film all too much because I felt like uh, there was not a lot of design jobs for film in Toronto. Um, but I was proven wrong because uh, I have several of my friends who do design for film in Toronto. Um, but I think you have to like have really good connections for that. Um, That's how it always is, right? So you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, sorry, I lost track of the question. I did too. <laughs> uh, I th I think it was uh um oh my god is it happening to all three of us no 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 no. <laughs> no no oh I asked about the carpet bomb oh yeah picky were you being picky <laughs> oh, oh right right yeah so I was being picky about what kind of job I'm applying to but for in terms of company I was just like doing this with my resume just like throwing it out into the void i mean it felt like i was throwing it into the void but i was throwing it at every studio i can find um and i was not picky about relocating either so i was also oh bye moose um i was also applying to uh studios in the u.s um and even a few in the uk <laughs> The whole time where you just like, oh, God, I hate freelancing. I need to get a job. Why can't I get it? Was it stressful or were you like, eh, 
it's cool. I live with my parents, and I'll, I'll draw someone's <laughs> D and D character NPD. It was only stressful because I was living with my parents. So I was, oh god, I really need to leave this house. I can't stay here any longer. Well, on that note, we have a special guest coming on. It's your parents. Oh, no. Hi, Dad. Hi, Mom. Happy Father's Day. Uh, No, I think um, if I could, I really would live with my parents. But it was just mentally, I just, I couldn't. Um, especially after living on my own for nine years, just going back to that is not so great. (laughs) I love my parents, don't get me wrong, but it was just, yeah, I I won't go more into it. (laughs) So were you, uh, when you were carpet bombing for uh, jobs at the companies that you wanted, were you searching for uh, relationships that you had in those studios? Or uh, were you strictly just applying for their, to their uh, drop boxes that had the application things for them? Um, a little bit of both. I think uh, it was easy with LinkedIn to just keep applying to these jobs. But also, as I went along, I got some advice from my friends on how to contact their HR departments. Um, and sometimes I would contact some of my friends who are in some studios I was interested like uh, there's a Warner Brothers studio in Montreal that I was interested in and I had asked to get their HR contact and like see if they're hiring and things like that. A long time ago when I was uh, looking for a job um, I see sort of I think I mentioned this on the podcast before so I'll make it quick. Uh, I got advice from my uh, Nana's friend who made a career out of helping people find work. And his, the takeaway message from him for me was, don't just go around asking people if they have a job, but rather ask people like for uh, help, uh, like advice. Uh, so people like fe- feeling like they're, that they know stuff. So if you ask them like, you know, hey, uh, what would my skill set match in, the, in your industry? Or, hey, what job fit do you think I'm a fit for? Rather than um, saying, hey, do you have a job? Because if you ask like, questions like for their help say what am i a good fit for they'll start like it's basically they remove a wall and they let you in but if you start with something saying like, do you have work then they'll start like saying they start with a wall and then you have to they make you climb over it in order to get past it yeah that is, that is very good advice um i've i've done stuff like that where i started a conversation with a question about their studio or their company um, and then I'd follow up with, hey, do you think my style would match? Just like those little things. This is great advice. I don't think you've ever mentioned that before on the podcast. Um, so is this like in lieu of sending an email that's like, hey, here's my portfolio. Do you have a gig? It's literally just like, hey, can you talk to me for a second or, or give me some feedback on something? Yep. That's exactly how I got a job that I have now. Um, yeah, I, sent I, out- don't, I don't think it's in lieu. I think I would do both. Uh, so if there's a job opening or like a job posting, definitely try to apply to that and have at least your name in their database. 
uh, and then also contact their HR or if you know someone who's art directing a project, um, contact them. Uh, just, yeah, try everything, do everything. <laughs> and you said that you wanted to focus on uh, concept art or visual development. Were you looking more for 3D or were you looking more for 2D or both, either or? Yeah, either or. And I got quite lucky with the previous job I was at. So I got picked up by a studio who was starting a 3D animated TV show. And it was um, for. Uh, it was not for children. <laughs> it was a mature rated TV show. And it was a samurai versus zombies type of show. Very gory, very fantastical. And um, God, I hate that word fantastical. <laughs> fantasy. It's very fantasy. Um, so I, I had a really great time working on that. Because that was actually when I really got into Blender. So a lot of the, I did visual development for that show. So the group that I worked with was very great. Um, we bounced off ideas with each other very well. And uh, we just got along. And everybody was doing Blender to Photoshop process, even though nobody has told us to do that. We just decided that this was a great way to kind of uh, marry the 2D uh, designs with what will look, what it will look like in 3D, uh, which is the end point, uh, the final look of the show. Um, so that was a very great experience for me. Uh, so I'm curious, uh, what would you say are the benefits of working from Blender to 2D? Uh, so, again, like what I said about having the different angles that you can take from uh, each shot. So, like moving the camera, getting an upshot, rotating it, and getting the back shot. So, you get a very good idea of what the uh, final environment will look like in 3D space. Um, but also, it just helps with perspective and like basic lighting. Uh, and it just speeds up the process quite a lot. Um, and at the same time, I found that I learned quite a bit uh, from doing 3D. So I think it helps me with lighting, uh, especially. Um, and also just like being able to rotate what you're imagining in your head in a 3D space. I think that's very helpful. So what about, uh, I know very little about uh, 3D, but I know there's something called rigging. So do you have to <laughs> rig the, uh, the characters so they move right? Or do you all just have them all in the T pose and just moving around the screen <laughs> that way? Or what's the, right. what's the situation? So <laughs> so rigging is a whole other beast. We have a special specialized people or sorry people who specialize in rigging uh who 
do all these scripts themselves and they they have to rig it in a very particular way uh, in order to have the character move according according to the script. So like uh, a character that's rigged for a fighting show is going to be rigged very differently for just like a very story heavy animation. So I think this is this is what I'm told. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. If there's any riggers out there, but there's there's very different ways of rigging something uh, for a character. Uh, before us uh, concept artists, we don't really get the rig for the characters. Um, so what I did was environment design, and all we had were the characters in T pose. Um, nowadays, the better practice is to have them in A pose because of the shoulder issue. Uh, and we just have them in our scenes for scale. So when you're working in 3D, scale is very, very important. If anything is just a little bit off, you can definitely see it very easily. So that's one thing that's very um, great about working in 3D for our concept arts is to just keep everything consistent and see how well the characters live in your environment um, before passing on the designs to the 3D artists. I feel like I never get a tight enough grasp on exactly like what concept art is, even though we've like interviewed a few concept artists and we've talked about it a bunch. Um, because it seems like there's always some subtleties between the way that it can get done. Like you're talking about using 3D to establish some lighting and create different uh, you know, perspectives and the environment and stuff. And but then I've talked to other concept artists where it's just like they're they're doodling, you know, or they're sketching and lighting and perspective accuracy and proportions, all of that is out the wind. That's a would be a waste of time. It's like, what are you doing? You're building this in Blender? No, we need this like, <laughs> now, like five minutes ago. Yeah, I <laughs> I think it's very different from studio to studio and also from production to production. So I think um, if you have a team that works well with just interpreting very, um, how do you say it? impressionistic concept art then that's great if you can just pump out those paintings um then that's great but um the for for the previous job that i had the visual development job it was part of our job to really really describe what this needs to look like in 3d for our 3d artists so we had to be very precise with proportions. Um, lighting was a huge thing for us to solve as well. So when I look at concept art, for me anyways, it's problem solving. How is this going to look? Um, how can we communicate this to our 3D artists so that we don't have to go back and forth and say, no, no, this is what I meant. Um, and so if we could just eliminate that portion of communication like if we can just get it right the first time or the second time or a third time instead of you know the 20th iteration 
then that's a huge win for the company. Uh, so yeah, it, it just really depends on the project and, and the team dynamic probably as well. Now that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I imagine mm -hmm. to you get pretty quick at shorthand in your 3D development as well. Like, you know, you're not like doing like crazy intricate modeling and sculpting and stuff. Um, a tangential side, what are the differences between concept art and visual development? Like what would draw the distinction between those things? I don't know. I think uh -oh. they're the same thing. Oh, no. <laughs> it just might be that uh, video games call it a concept art, while film calls it uh, visual development. Oh, maybe. okay. Um, maybe. I know there's a uh, early concept art, and then there's the main portion of concept art where you're actually problem solving. So, like early concept art, you're just sketching out ideas just like throwing out ideas and um yeah so visual development is more about uh problem solving maybe i don't know i think they're interchangeable <laughs> or viz dev if you prefer viz dev yeah, yeah that's how that's uh, yeah that's what we like to call it at the coffee <laughs> so uh there's a a small parallel in uh, my field um, where people that want to start uh, um, statisticians that want to be paid more money started calling themselves data scientists. So that they, they, they had a, um, an extra uh, tier to go to and they were able to go from however many dollars up to like 50% more or something like that. <laughs> Amazing. So, so maybe VizDev is just uh, the concept artist. Like, no, I'm not a concept artist. I'm a visual development artist mm. and then, and then <laughs> yeah. if you if you want to get like top top tier you're a visual <laughs> development consultant or a data scientist consultant that's what oh you, you my gotta, god yeah, you gotta you gotta throw that into your resume that's a freebie you, that's, I'll, that's I'll what i need to for <laughs> consultant is when you're freelance though ah. <laughs> yeah i i have no idea. I don't know. Maybe someone in chat or someone else has a better idea of what the difference is. But in my mind, I just feel like visual development and concept art is kind of the same thing. If you know the difference, send me an email at artcondition.com. You'll win yes, the grand please. prize. Hey. Um, you... Uh, mentioned a little aside um, about the kinds of work in Canada and, and that stood out to me that you took the time to, to actually like make a little note of that when we were you know talking before the show. Um, so what, what, what is in that that makes you want to highlight that particular, <laughs> the types of work in Canada? Um, I just wanted to talk about, cause I, I had a little bit of uh, frustration with the type of work I was getting in in Toronto specifically. Uh, if you're able to get a job in film, because I know a lot of films are filmed in Toronto, then that is like one of the best, the one of the better jobs, I think. Uh, but other than that, it's a lot of 
preschool children's animation uh, work that you can find in Toronto, um, which isn't bad. But if you're someone like me who are interested in something uh, higher in age, more mature, (laughs) it's not really ideal. Though I do think the indie game uh, scene is kind of uh, blowing up now in Toronto. Um, Montreal is a a little bit better for that. They have uh, many more game studios there. But uh, when I was searching for a job uh, in Toronto, a lot of the jobs I would get were just service jobs for U.S. companies. So, um, and it's just not a lot of uh, opportunities to move up in the ladder in your career. So oftentimes they're just looking for lower paying jobs. Um, So that was sort of my issue that I came across with finding jobs here. Uh, What else did I want to say? Yeah, I think a big thing for us to do here is to maybe unionize. I know it's not a very popular idea, but it would be great to just have more Canadian content so that we could have better paying jobs and to have a bigger variety of creative jobs as well. Um, So that's just really what I wanted to talk about. What what would unionization do in terms of being able to guarantee more work for Canadians? Um, it's just the part where you're feeling more secure in a current job to uh, pursue a more creative project. Or um, it would just also uh, minimize the need to go into a lower paying jobs, say like VFX is a big one. So a lot of people are being paid very low for doing such a demanding job like matte painting. Um, So maybe if we could, uh, again, start making more Canadian, like local uh, uh, projects, I think that would really um, bump up the economy. and just have better paying jobs, benefits included, uh, vacation, sick days, you know, all the good stuff instead of just contract to contract. I think the video game industry as a whole could uh, benefit from that, not just the Canadian, because whether it's uh, um, CG Product Red or um, any Microsoft studio, the they all are known for um, having uh, short lifespans with their, with their given uh, project. Like as soon as the project's over, then they dump out a bunch of employees out into the market, and then they also um, run to rush for jobs, and then they get swooped up by their friends, hopefully, and then the, yeah. those that don't make it then are on a longer path to uh, either finding something else to do, yeah, uh, working independently, or find or you know roughing it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's happened time and time, time and time again in in Toronto. Like I've seen two companies already who have gone 
bankrupt. And then a lot of their employees have been just like, they don't even get notifications. They just get a sign on the door. So they're walking to work and they see this sign saying, we are closed. And they're just jobless immediately uh, without warning. (laughs) So that's just not great at all. That's super. The job security is just, yeah, it's it's really awful. I was offered a job uh, in the game industry back in like 2015, 2016, something like that. And I was really torn about it because I knew it was a job that, you know, was in a field I wanted to do. And it might have been a foot in the door. But at the same time, I thought, I have great job security where I am now, and I would have no job security there. And it ended up being the person that uh, a friend of mine that took the job that I was offered that I eventually took da- I turned down. Um, he then went to you know a, a few months, basically a year, looking for a job. Some of it was actually while he was still employed with uh, Microsoft, and um, he didn't find an immediate position. Then eventually he struggled, found a position down at, uh, in San Francisco with HTC Vive. And then during the pandemic, they dropped him. So it's a whole lot of instability, instability with a, the, um, that field. And it, while it sounds like it's so much fun to be part of and all that stuff, it also sounds like it's incredibly stressful to be part of. Yeah, for sure. And not to mention all the um, overtime that you need to do, especially in the VFX industry. It's just, it's not sustainable. <laughs> It's really quite awful. So um, it's kind of like uh, they are saying, we're going to treat you like garbage because we know if uh, you leave, then we'll have somebody else replace you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where that's where the union would come in. So would it be, if there was a, a unionization, I'm wondering what it would look like. Would it be a an industry-wide thing or would it be like a regional, like a like a local thing? How do you think that would work best? might not be the best person to ask but in my head i think it would be great for industry wide for canada maybe <laughs> sorry it's a lot of half baked ideas but uh, no it's it, that, that's yeah, the that's fun part about it yeah it's you know, like <laughs> in a conversation like this just sort of like you know brainstorming um, this was, you know, not a planned part of the conversation. So it's great to just kind of like have it like spontaneously crop up. Um, I, you know, like I, I know what unions are <laughs> and I know that people like having them. Um, but when it comes to like, you know, an industry specific thing like that, yeah, I, I, I would, I'm really curious about it to know like how that would yeah. work. Cause I know that there's like a, the screen actors guild and, you know, for, for actors, but I don't know how far that reaches in terms of like, is it all actors <laughs> in the whole world <laughs> can be part of that? Or is it just like, is that just a Hollywood thing? I don't know. So, yeah. Yeah. Maybe we could just smart, smart, start small, um, region for region, but, um, I think at least ideally, it, if it becomes a uh, countrywide, nationwide, I think that would be very cool because then it's really standardized, and companies will really have to follow the rules. Uh, yeah, and also I wanted to touch on 
why people don't want unions. Um, I remember having some conversations with uh, colleagues of mine on why they feel like uh, unions are a bad idea. And it, it is because they do like the work that comes from US companies. So they do like working on big Disney IPs, big Warner Brothers IPs, like Marvel, um, Star Wars. They like working on those big titles. Um, but again, in my opinion, for the long run, I think it's not sustainable. <laughs> so if you were part of a union in Canada, you wouldn't be able to work on like American projects? Um, the reason why they say that is because it might be more expensive for those U.S. companies to give us the service or for us to give them the service because the big reason why they they come to Canada, they look into Canada to um, give out work is because the tax evasion. Is it evasion? More tax money deduction. laundering. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if it's laundering, but they're they're just they just want to pay lower taxes, um, and it's cheaper to hire us in Canadian dollars. <laughs> yeah, it's all I mean, about the money. It's money laundering <laughs> of a type, in a in a way. <laughs> Yeah, I've lost, I've lost track of the meaning now. <laughs> right, it's like yeah. white co white collar money laundering. It's like, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, that notion of uh, get cheaper labor in Canada because usually you think about that, you know, they're like outsourcing to India or Vietnam, mm. you know, or somewhere like in the quote developing world, and but you know, Canada gets that too, huh? <laughs> yeah. We get most of it, I think. <laughs> oh, really? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is, I don't know, it, it. this is a parallel to the pricing conversation that we have on this podcast a lot, you know, where it's like people um, actively holding on to their lower prices because they think that they won't get paid as much or, um, you know, it's like, well, people can't afford it. If I raise my prices, then all these other people won't be able to afford it or I won't get work. Uh, and now this is like a whole industry that's doing that. Like, no, we we need to get that Marvel money so we can't raise our prices. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or even uh, the prestige that they're seeing, like it, it could be that they look like the IPs. Like, like I grew yeah. up watching Star Wars and I want to make Star Wars stuff, but that's basically uh, in a way paying Disney so that you can work for them because you're taking yeah. less. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you've mentioned uh, a couple of things between the uh, theme park gig and where you're at now. There have been a couple of, of iterations. Um, this, this jumping from career, well, not from career to career, but um, from occupation, job job. having job to, yeah, different jobs within sort of like the same general career, um, you know, sort of like more the standard uh, in the in this space than than not um, it's interesting you know because you you think about other job uh, searches and companies that want to see stability but in this sort of situation it's almost like they um, 
anticipate <laughs> everybody anticipates that you're going to have a, a whole number of jobs um, before you get to the one that that you're applying for um is that fun for you do you like the sort of the the variety the opportunity for variety and unexpected opportunity or are you just like god i i wish that i could just like get the job that i'm gonna like retire doing <laughs> i think it is very fun for me um but i also uh i feel like i have the privilege to say that because i have been pretty lucky um to have a loving family who will take me in at any time <laughs> if ever i needed um i know not everyone has that option um so it it's very i don't know i I like it because of the variety of jobs I've had. I've learned a lot from each job. And uh, I'm more like a person who likes to dabble in everything. Uh, so not only do I want to do concept art for environments, I want to do concept art for creatures, for characters, for props and vehicles. Um, I want to design, you know, the whole thing. <laughs> so. That kind of leads me to um, my job now because uh, I'm currently art directing a mobile game. And because we are a, a startup, um, I am the only 2D artist on the team. So not only am I art directing, I'm also the concept artist and I'm also designing the UI, the look of the UI. <laughs> And I'm doing graphic design. Oh my god, this, so this sounds like a lot more hats. sleepless <laughs> nights and overworking yourself. Um, it is and it isn't because I really enjoy doing everything. Um, it's just I think I just love the challenge of it all. Uh, just see how how much I can not how much I can push myself, but just um how to find ways to do this task that I think will be easy, <laughs> like procedural. <laughs> so um, yeah, uh, it really helps that I know some 3D. Um, so for example, um, our app is a storytelling, like a novel, interactive novel. Um, and I was tasked with making book covers. So I it was part of my job to find a process to make covers instead of having hiring artists to meticulously paint every single one of them. Uh, and our game is 3D, so it's very... Um, it's uh, easier to find a way to uh, make a... Procedural process to make book covers. <laughs> um, yeah, and I learned a lot from that, like post processing in Unity. <laughs> yeah, tell us more about that. You had mentioned that you had to learn Unity on the fly, right, right away, <laughs> like day <laughs> one. They're like, "Okay, fucking go to it." Um, yeah, almost yeah, wh right what's, away. <laughs> what, what's that been like? Because Unity, 
for anybody that doesn't know, uh, you, you can fill in the blanks that I leave out. Unity is uh, a, a game development engine, like uh, Un- Unreal Engine. Uh, the the uh, the software that actually lets you build the visual scape of the of the game, correct? Yes. Um, yeah, that that that's exactly it. Unity is just the not just it is a engine to help build uh, video games. Um, so what they did was they hired me, knowing that I have some three D knowledge and that. I'm able to uh, learn things on my own because we're we're like a group of people who just um, learn as we go along and are open to learning more programs or what we need to uh, to make a game and have fun. Um, so when what they needed me to do as a art director is. Um, I provide direction to our 3D artists, so I need to learn how to, first of all, open Unity, <laughs> um, open our assets, so like the environments, the characters, um, be able to look at it in-game and in the engine to see uh, how far we need to push uh, to get our, to get my visual um, design to push the assets to where I want them to look uh, visually. Um, And then that just evolved to uh, a little bit more than that. (laughs) So I know with uh, Unity, um, it does also handle animations. Uh, Uh You have to uh, figure out how to use animations inside of Unity to connect them to what you wanted them to do. Um, yeah, so we actually hired a animator. So we hired a rigger who provided us with a character rig and then um, an animator to do the animations for us. So it's uh, Unity is pretty, I want to say it's pretty easy to use because um, it has a little tray system where you can just click and drag your files into, uh, into the program. Um, so it's easy in that aspect. Um, I, I would say it's pretty user-friendly, but there is a lot to learn. So I think if you know Maya, I think it's a little bit similar to Maya in where you have so many menus to keep track of. <laughs> and just you kind of need to know um, the 3D pipeline. So like modeling, surfacing, texturing, um, post-processing, just the basics to kind of be aware of, oh, maybe I think I know where the FOV is for the camera and how to set camera settings as well. Um, Yeah, I think that's helpful. Yeah, so it's kind of like knowing what to look for. You, you yeah, know exactly. what you you know enough to know what you don't know to in order to go look for where to find it. Because that's what I was having a hard time conceptualizing when mm-hmm. you mentioned that you were learning Unity on the fly. Where it's just like God, you just because that's not like a small learning curve. Like if somebody just stepped into that with no sort of background knowledge, it'd be like mm-hmm. what the hell is even happening? 
But yeah. I guess if you have like all of that sort of substrate of previous experience, then you at least know the like the terminology, you know, and a lot of the like <laughs> you know, environment. Yeah. You know what to Google <laughs> if you can't find something. I was going to ask, uh, where did you uh, search most? Did you look mostly on YouTube, uh, Google, uh, through the official uh, help documents? What was the, the first go-to there? What was the most helpful overall? Um, most helpful were my colleagues because they, like the developers, they, they know Unity quite well. So I was able to ask them uh, where things were. Uh, but also when I was trying to figure out the Unity recorder, <laughs> trying to um, take rendered shots from the cameras in Unity, I had to uh, refer to a YouTube video to help me with that. Um, sometimes it's several unit or several YouTube videos um, to get a better grasp of the options in which I could go. Directions, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah I've always mix. found I've always found like like the like the, the um, built-in help menu stuff, like the things, the help documents that they produce themselves. They're oh, written for, for sure. people, They're written for people who already know what they're doing is the problem. So. If you don't already know what you're doing, then YouTube will like bring you to the part where you can start asking the help document how what what, to do, what it is. But if you actually read it by itself, it's kind of like reading uh, ancient uh, hieroglyphics. It's just, <laughs> it doesn't sink in. Yeah, no. Uh, sometimes the help documents really help, especially for the basic things <laughs> that I was trying to figure out. Um, I know when I was learning Maya. The, that was what I referred to the most was just the help documents for Maya. Um, that's also how I was taught by my teacher in college. So, um, yeah, but YouTube videos help so much because not only do you see the visual, but you can like see their cursor move to where you need to go, <laughs> and, like keeping track of the steps. Yeah, it's it's nice. But then when the uh, version of uh, the engine changes and they relocate uh, re re where the stuff is, you're like, all right, I'm going to click over here and go to this menu. There's no, <laughs> I don't see that option in here anywhere. I'm stuck now forever. Hopefully not forever. <laughs> That's when I go to Google, where is um, create edge loop? <laughs> In Maya 2021. <laughs> it used to be under edit, and now it's under uh, options. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, even having a, a, a background to know how to orient yourself, it still seems like a kind of a big ask for a company to hire somebody that doesn't know a program, and then they have to like kind of step right into it and learn it on the fly. Um, one, I'd like to know like how fast you ha like had to get up to running speed and two, like when you're going into an interview and, you know, maybe like I see oftentimes on, uh, you know, a, a job application, it's like, must be familiar with blah, 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 unity. So when you're applying for this job and you're like, well, I don't know unity. How do you overcome that barrier between you and the company to say like, Hey, I'm, I'm still hireable. I'm not sure about this one, 
because uh, they hired me already thinking that I knew Unity. <laughs> and so for my first day on the job, they're like, so you know Unity, right? I'm like, no, but you hired me. <laughs> but I'll try my best. Uh, that's awesome. So that's, that's what really happened. <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, it really depends on the company. Uh, because we are a startup, um, a lot of us are self-taught in the programs that we use. Uh, so even the developers, they are also self-taught. And so because they saw my character as um, self-taught, because <laughs> I self-taught my, self myself in Blender, they kind of see uh, sort of that personality characteristic in me. So they just <laughs> threw their trust at me <laughs> for some reason. And you were the no, only I... artist, so they didn't have anything else as a fallback. And they're like, oh, well, we got the artist. Uh, there's no unity. I guess there's no unity now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but hey, it worked out, I think. <laughs> Now I'm curious, like, how did you get linked up with this job? How did you find it? Uh, they contacted me. Okay. Yeah. So actually, when I started at my previous job, uh, they had contacted me uh, with this vague description of the job. And I'm like, um, I'm good. I just got hired. So I'm going to stay here for maybe a year. And then the year, a year after, they contacted me again. And that was when they offered me the art director title. So I'm like, whoa. <laughs> like I knew I knew I always wanted to be an art director someday. Uh, I didn't know that I would be given this opportunity so soon in my career, but I just it was just something I couldn't say no to. And um, I'm very glad that I got this job because it's very, very fun. Um, tickles the brain because uh, I have a lot of learning to do. Uh, so that's that's part of the fun part, and I really like my coworkers. So when I uh, hear uh, art, the term uh, title art director, I think you have like uh, some minions to control, and they do your art bidding. But you are <laughs> the key artist. You're the you're the sole artist on this. So so do you just like boss yourself around, or how? <laughs> what's, this, what's this uh art direction going on here <laughs> yeah i do have to boss myself around because <laughs> uh if one of my paintings isn't up to par i'm like oh my goodness how are the 3d artists going to interpret this you need to do better <laughs> uh <laughs> Are you redlining um, your own paintings and stuff? <laughs> yeah, I am. I give myself little notes. I'm like, do this, the better. <laughs> um, but no, so one of my main jobs is to provide art direction for the 3D artists because it is a, a 3D uh, video game. Uh, so that's truly where, uh, what I do. Um, and now I do more. <laughs> I also have the the preconceived notion that art director means send like have artists that are not working for the company send them your resume so that they can hire you as basically the outsourcing art director. 
or art manager. Is that the case in every art director position? Like, is that uh, something that you do? Like, do you have to field uh, resumes for people that you have never talked to you before that just cold send you their, their uh, resumes for work? Um, uh, wait, 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 repeat that. Are you saying that I need to send my resumes? No, 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 no. <laughs> like, so I think when, uh, when I hear somebody as an art director, I think, all right, I'm gonna have my friends send them their resumes and their portfolios oh. to get work from that art director. As oh. if art directors are all also are outsourcing uh, art managers. Is that, no. so it's not the case here. No, um, so art directors uh, tend to have, um, excuse me, a say on who will be hired by the company to be on their team. Um, but for my case, uh, I haven't yet uh, been given that power only because we are a small team and we are not looking for more artists currently. Um, but I had had the opportunity to recommend someone to do some art consultations for our project. So that, that was something. <laughs> So when it goes from startup to double A, triple A, then you'll be in that position to be like, all right, we got to hire some more talent here. And then you start looking around for that. Yeah, hopefully. Um, but it also comes down to the actual director of the project uh, and also the, uh, uh, what are they called? Um, money managers, uh, uh, financial, uh, sorry, I'm losing my words. The, <laughs> the money side of the business, yeah. The money, <laughs> yeah, the money The Honduran the drug lords. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm going to take a minute to turn my AC on. Uh, I'll be right back. Yeah, yeah, no problem, no problem. We'd like to take this moment to thank our sponsors, uh, AAA Heating and Air Conditioning. And I would say that we can remove this from the VOD, but every time we've said that before, we ended up not removing it from the VOD. So Not, not every time. I think it's happened twice. Well, that, yeah, so, maybe, so maybe every time. <laughs> All right, I'm back. Welcome back. Hopefully no one can see how sweaty I am. <laughs> no, you shouldn't have said anything. Now people are like really leaning into the, to, yeah, got to get a magnifying glass. I'll uh, move Scoot a back. further away from the webcam. <laughs> it, it does seem pretty awesome though, because it seems like a company that you could grow with. Like if it continues and it, knock on wood, you know, it maintains and keeps putting out content, you could really be a part of this for for a while that's pretty awesome that's a score yeah i'm i'm really excited for this project i hope many people will play our game <laughs> and say wow <laughs> yeah is i there like a, this game <laughs> is there a lot of nda stuff around it or can you can you talk about it uh yeah i can't talk about it currently but um we're trying to release it either late this summer or in the fall so the final stretch yeah yeah 
Um, well, be sure to uh, let me know, like uh, let us know when that does happen, because we'll go back and re-edit the show notes so that we can um, put, uh, you know, uh, make a connection to that, make links cool. to that and stuff. Um, At the very least, uh, when it does come up on Steam, I'm assuming that we can put the put it up on the when it's available for waitlist. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's on mobile, so it'll be uh, in the Apple right. Store or in the Google Play Store. Gotcha. Yep. Uh, in the games development space, in particular, it seems like two D artists and three D artists. That line is blurring a lot. Um, if you're if you're a two D artist, it almost seems expected that you're going to have some three D ability somewhere. Is that just sort of like the standard expectation now? Like, if you're a two D artist, are you just going to have to know? A bit of blender or maya or something as well i i don't think it's um gonna be expected i think uh if a company is gonna hire a 2d artist they won't expect you to know 3d um but i have heard that uh, it's just helpful depending on the industry you want to get into and also how quick they the client will need the turnaround uh, for. So if uh, you're working in the film industry, I, I know that it's very helpful to know a little bit of 3D. Um, but otherwise, I don't think it's expected at all, especially for concept art. Well, that's that's good to know, <laughs> because it seems yeah. like that's uh, um, maybe it, it's, just it's certainly the trend. It I think it's a trend right now, um, and it is. I think it is helpful in certain ways. But if it's totally not your thing, don't feel pressured to go in that route. Well, it also seems too that like two D art. Well, I shouldn't say it seems like this because this could just be paranoia talking or delusions of, you know, future (laughs) scenarios that that 2D art just like won't exist (laughs) in the future. Like they're not going to do it anymore. It's going to like VR is going to take over, like everything's going to be 3D and no one's going to want to look at boring flat images anymore. (laughs) No, I wouldn't say that. Um, I think there's something very special and magical in 2D art and 2D productions. And I think um, a lot of companies are trying to revive the magic of it because there's just something about 2D animation that is so special that is that you can't really get in a 3D animation, I would say. It's just that human touch <laughs> if you know what i mean right so if you try to yeah, make it exactly uh, more realistic then you end up making it look kind of fake in the process yeah for sure uh i i see it a lot in some indie games nowadays how they're trying to get that 2d feel in a 3d video game like uh, I was watching, a, what's it called? Disco Elysium. Uh, yeah, 
that game is gorgeous. And it's a 3D game, but they textured it and, uh, and um, yeah, they textured it in a way and lit it in a way that makes it look 2D. And I think it's just very beautiful. And I think if we start doing more of a blend like that, I think there will always be a call for 2D artists. And then there's similar uh, games like um, Ori and the Blind Forest. Those were also 3D games that were made look explicitly 2D. Like they uh, mm-hmm. even like basically broke the uh, character's arms so they would appear to be three, uh, 2D when it was actually 3D. So you see like, the arm is actually like bent like this, but in the, <laughs> uh, in, uh, the proper uh, perspective, it looks like it's just like a, a normal wrapped arm. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you have games like uh, Bloodstained, Ritual of the Night, and um, the new Metroid Dread game, which, because they're using a, um, a perspective camera instead of an orthographic camera, it looks like you're playing that inside of a shoebox. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited for that. <laughs> not, being as, so good. Uh, not being as familiar with the, the gaming world, but because I have a three and a half year old being very familiar <laughs> with the children's cartoons world. I'm thinking of like Gig- Gigantosaurus and like all of these uh, cartoons that he watches that have th- that happening in there too. But there's artists behind that too. So that's, I guess yeah, that kind of sure. goes with, with what you're saying as well. Uh, when you're in the studio, like what's your favorite part of that pipeline? You're talking about doing everything now. So I guess your answer is like all of it, but if you, had to, <laughs> if you had to pick one part of the process that you would want to do, what's your favorite? Um, my favorite will always be designing, designing the look. So um, I really enjoy, uh, so, so my current process, although it changes from time to time, depending on what I'm trying to design, I would sketch out my ideas first in Photoshop and that way I have a general idea of what I'm aiming for when I go into Blender and try to do a quick model, quick mock-up of uh, my designs. And then um, because I can't really use cycles rendering on my computer for now, it's, uh, it's really slow. <laughs> I use EV rendering, but I found this script that helps make the lighting look a little closer to reality, not quite. Um, I render that out, put it back into Photoshop and paint over it. So that's my current favorite process and my favorite thing to do um, is just uh, starting a a mock-up in Blender because I love modeling and then finishing up a painting that I'm happy with and I like the design and hopefully gets my team excited. I think that's the best part of my job is to just hear my teammates go, Whoa. Yeah, that's gotta be satisfying, right? Yeah. You also just get uh, the cheap um, fulfilling, uh, maybe it's less fulfilling, but you get throw, throw in some uh, jump scares. So you get that uh, right <laughs> that way. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully we can get some horror elements in our video game. <laughs> I think it would be really cool. I wish I could talk about it more, but I, I don't think I really can. Um, but, but yeah, there's there's also at some points 
inserting in some inside jokes of ours inside the art. So <laughs> that's really fun. <laughs> and I know you've talked to a little bit about uh, getting into 3D or not 3D, VR. <laughs> I've been talking so much about 3D. It's like everything is 3D. <laughs> but yeah, you've been doing some yeah. stuff with, uh, with VR and, and sculpting with VR that this, this is something um, that I'm really excited about hypothetically, because I say that <laughs> as I have, I have this fucking Oculus that's been sitting on my floor unwrapped in the box for like months now. And it just looks at me every day. And it's like, dude, when are you going to do this? What are you waiting for? Just because I'm like that. But nonetheless, I think about it and I'm like, that's going to be so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> What is yeah. your, what's your experience been like with it? Get, get me hyped up. Make me unwrap the box. What are you, what are you doing okay. with it? So, um, I, okay, to tell you the truth, I also haven't touched my VR headset in a while, but I'm still very excited about it because there's so many things I want to try with it. It's endless or possibilities and opportunities with it. So what I like about VR is that it's just so, it's such a different feeling when you're painting um, in VR. So I, I mainly use this program called Quill, uh, mainly because it's free. Uh, you are able to create um, a painting inside of it and animate it and to make all these cool scenes in it with different methods. Um, I'm currently in a VR Discord where we share a lot of uh, different ways of using Quill and achieving a certain look and a certain animation because there's a lot of uh, professional animators who do uh, VR animation in it. And it's just so... It's, it feels so intuitive to be able to paint in 3D space, so you're no longer you no longer have that detachment where you're drawing or sculpting on a 2D surface. You're actually in the 3D space and you're creating something, and it's just so freeing, and it's just so it feels so natural. Well, especially when when you get used to the tools, it just feels very natural and free flowing, um, and it's just such a fun way to be creative, <laughs> basically. You were talked earlier about uh, using Blender to do quick mockups and doing paintovers of that in Photoshop. Have you been doing the same thing with VR sculpting? And then like, uh, either, well, I'm curious about a couple of things. Uh, do you export your VR models into Blender or uh, uh, another uh, modeling program? Or do you just uh take a can you take a snapshot like in program and then send that right to photoshop yep okay yeah you can do that um so i haven't done this yet uh i have yet to try it but a lot of um bigger concept artists uh have been using vr to uh get like a very quick sketch of a 3d model and then they would export the FBX into Blender or whatever 3D program that they want to use, um, do whatever lighting adjustments that they want 
render that and put it into Photoshop and paint over it. And that's a very quick and easy way for them. I know uh, some concept artists at ILM who have started that trend. So I think uh, some artists at uh, ILM have really integrated that process uh, into their work. And um, it's just, yeah, it's really cool <laughs> to just sculpt things really quickly in 3D space. And then you throw it into 3D program, throw it into Photoshop, and bam, you have a concept. Obviously, it's not as easy as how I described it just there, but it's really cool. You mentioned a few minutes ago um, a Discord server for people who are interested in uh, VR art. Is that a public Discord, or is that something that it's you have to know somebody to get in because otherwise they might be open to the unwashed masses, and that might bring down the server? Um, no, it's fairly open. So how you can find it is actually through Facebook, because uh, I know unfortunately Oculus is uh, Oculus and Quill is very integrated into Facebook. Um, what was it? I think Facebook bought them or something. I can't remember. Don't quote yeah. me on this. Yeah, Facebook. Uh, but anyways, it it started as a Facebook group. Yeah, so it's called uh, VR Animation, I think. Uh, and the person who runs it, there's several people who run it, but the main person who runs it is Goro. Uh, sorry, I'm forgetting his last name. We can find uh, it and put it in the show notes after. It's fine. Sure, it's a uh, Goro Fujita. Uh, he mainly organizes it, and they have a, a stream every weekend uh, just to show off new processes, new techniques. Um, and it's just a really great and fun community to be a part of. Uh, so yeah, if you join their Facebook group, then you can get a invitation to join the Discord group. So you were saying that uh, artists are taking their VR sculpts and then sending them to a 3D modeling platform uh, to do like some lighting and rendering. Are there not VR sculpting programs that will do like complex lighting or rendering like the same way that you can in Blender? Yeah, no. So um, one of the programs that I mentioned, Quill, uh, you have to paint in the lighting. There's no lighting at all in that program. And then there is uh, another sculpting program that I know of is called Adobe Medium. That's uh, what the what some of the ILM artists do or use for their sculpting. Uh, it's it's just a different way, uh, a faster way to sculpt something because Quill is more of a painting program and then Adobe Medium is a more of a sculpting program so you can get more finer details in your sculpts and um, make your sculpt as big as well maybe, probably not as big as possible because I, I think it still runs on like a mobile platform I might be wrong on this again don't quote me <laughs> I haven't dabbled in it yet, but soon, I hope. Um, yeah, and that's they, they can take that FBX file. We can export it as FBX and put it into a 3D program and light it. 
I'm curious. Have you, ever, have you ever dabbled in uh, Dreams on the uh, PlayStation? No, I haven't. I've heard about it, though. I, I'm just mentioning mention, because uh, some of my friends that were in the uh, Project Spark community, they since, have since moved over to Dreams because Project Spark doesn't exist anymore. Oh. But oh, I had okay. heard that there was a way to export objects from uh, Dreams and import them into like Blender, whatever other three um, platform you wanted. But since I haven't uh, been doing it, since I don't have PlayStation Four or Five. Uh, I was curious if you had, but no, I not, so that's a dead end to that. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so I I'm not sure if. Yeah, no worries. I'm not sure if Medium has a, a rendering program in it. Um, that's why I'm not. I'm not sure if uh, you could probably just take a screenshot from it. But I think that's why most people uh, will import it to another 3D program. Uh, I know there's another program called Tilt Brush. That one has cool lighting effects that you can implement in your scenes um i don't know too much more so uh yeah that i think that i think uh tilt brush is um google based am i wrong okay uh, i remember I'm they not had google sure. blocks and uh tilt and they work yeah. together to some extent yeah, uh, all I remember seeing is um, a lot of cool tilt brush scenes where they do like flashing light. It looks like a, a nightclub and there's like volumetric lighting as well in it. And pretty, pretty cool, pretty flashy and very fun. We are talking a minute I considered ago. Uh, using my uh, VR. I think we were out of sync in this, uh, this episode where... Uh, I don't see people talking until after they their audio kicks in. Anyway, yeah, I see uh, a long yeah. delay between your lips. It's like this is like a real dub, badly dubbed movie where her <laughs> 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 talk is way off. That's, this is weird. I've never seen this happen before. Oh no! It's happened before once, but it wasn't that uh, this bad. But, oh well, it's kind of, we've made it through. Um. Well, what I was gonna say is uh talking a little bit earlier about um how like 3d displacing 2d maybe not going to happen but vr things feels it seems like that's just going to swallow everything like i don't know how long it's going to take but it can't be too long before we all just live in vr (laughs) oh my god yeah like already i see (laughs) The developers I'm working with, they both have VR headsets and they have their desktop set up in VR. <laughs> so sometimes they'd be sitting on their couch doing their work in VR. <laughs> it's pretty cool. <laughs> See, it's already happening. I have to admit. I know, it's already happening. But you so. can also look like a Tyrannosaurus Rex or uh, <laughs> a alien or you i mean any you could be doing your work while sitting in the asteroid belt i mean of course of course this will happen how can it not people will still be doing 2d paintings yeah people will still be doing 2d paintings but they'll be doing it uh wherever your your imagination can possibly take you i'm i'm painting on pluto today 
<laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think um, that's the magic of VR chat, if you've ever been exposed to that. Just having a chat room wherever you want. That's another thing that I learned from uh, the VR Discord I'm in. There has been a process developed for uh, sketching a 3D space or 3D scene in Quill putting it into Unity and have things in, be interact where uh, you can interact with and then putting it into VR chat and all your friends can come into your scene that you've built and interact with these objects that you've programmed. And it's really, really cool. Yeah, or have collaborations, you know, I have... Uh, the, oh, yeah, that too, yeah. The Exquisite Corpse of uh, like a vr version of, have you ever played that game exquisite corpse no no oh. i haven't oh this is so cool i get to tell two people about it so you start with like a piece of paper and you fold it into thirds so only you can only see like one third of it and you draw like the head and then you pass it to the next person or you fold it over Ooh. So that then the next person only sees the next third and they draw the torso and then the next person draws like the hindquarters and the tail or whatever. Oh my God. That was our favorite activity actually in my previous job. All the artists would just like do that constantly and make several weird monster characters and we'd give them names. <laughs> yes. What were some of the names? <laughs> Oh my god, I can't remember now. There's like Mr. Fernagle Doodle or something like that. It's very far out there names. Um, How many of them were based on Pokemon? Hmm, none. Yeah, I know. Disappointing. <laughs> how, know, how can you call yourself an anime fan? <laughs> I just know that not everyone is an anime fan so i try to respect that <laughs> yeah so anyway the yeah the vr version of exquisite corpse like that's i, I don't know exactly how like how you would hide a part of it from the next person working like there's a lot of from here to there to get over but uh that's gonna be fucking awesome yeah. If somebody isn't already doing it, I'm sure it, it's got to be getting done. Yeah, um, that's got to be a thing. <laughs> well, this is good. This has gotten me back into I'm going to now I'm going to move it from like underneath my desk to at least like the top <laughs> of my desk and we'll see how much longer it stays. It stays wrapped up. Um, <laughs> yeah, little baby steps. <laughs> But switching switching gears just a little bit, we wanted to touch on your experience with with COVID as uh, somebody working in studios. Did the studio continue work, or I don't know if you were at this current job during the pan, you know, or during the quarantine? But wherever you were, were you able to like keep working in that occupation just remotely, or did things have to slow down a lot? What was that like? Ooh, where to begin? Um, so when the pandemic first hit, that was the biggest struggle, especially for the studio that I was at. So the pandemic hit uh, when I was still working at my previous job, and with my with that studio, we were 
sharing a the same space with a, another studio, which was a big VFX studio that works for really big titles like Marvel and Disney. So the security for them had to be the same for us. So because of that, um, we weren't able to work um, locally in a network sense. We had to remote into our work computers um, and try to work that way. Uh, for other departments, it was fairly easy transition. For the artists, uh, not so much because uh, some some of the technologies that we had to work with didn't allow for, say, pen sensitivity. That was the biggest one. Um, another one was just how are we going to share the stuff, the work that we're uh, working on. Um, uh, so, like, the animators needed to, uh, because uh, sometimes there's a, a lag, there's a latency. Uh, they can't lip sync to uh, the voices, and it was just hard to match uh, for lip syncing. Uh, so then they needed like a secure way to move files around so that they have it locally. Um, there's a, a whole bunch of other issues, but uh, so we worked very closely with IT. Um, yeah, the IT department, uh, <laughs> they were working like 24-7. I felt so bad for them. They sometimes had to live in the studio. Like they, they still had to go into the studio to take care of all the servers and also help us with uh, IT stuff. Sometimes they were able to work from home, uh, but that was something very tough for them because they're they're like juggling everybody's demands and sometimes it would take days or weeks to get something uh fixed for us to continue working um thankfully for uh the concept artists we found ways to just um i mean our job was to just make paintings just concept art so we managed to just have like mouse painted concept art but um <laughs> yeah you know it sounds sounds like a nightmare but we we made it work we used the lasso tool we used like whatever we could to make these paintings and at the end of the day as long as it conveyed uh what we needed it to convey um it was good um uh, it was much more harder for the 3D department, though, I'd have to say. Um, and then for my current job, uh, um, well, actually, uh, back on, on my previous job, I was put on another project. I worked a little bit on the new Space Jam film, and that was something really hard to do, especially with the lack of pen sensitivity. So I actually had to make some brushes to uh, uh, kind of emulate pen sensitivity to get that natural painterly look. Uh, so I, I did a little bit of that, but I only worked 
briefly on the film, and that's that was when uh, I was actually hired uh, as the art director position during COVID. So um, that was a little bit weird, but I I didn't mind it because we did the interview through uh, Google Teams uh, Teams meeting. Um, and uh, I was onboarded in a similar way, uh, so we didn't have to see each other. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a it was a pretty smooth process, I think. So for for this project, I am able to work locally in a network sense. So that uh, was a big plus for me, and I'm able to continue working remotely for them. Yeah, I was going to ask if there's so been... So I think... Uh... <laughs> oh, sorry, I go ahead, I think it's worth mentioning that uh, 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 Canada is behind uh, uh, the United States and, and uh, maybe the UK in terms of vaccinations. So they're still in the midst of the uh, the pandemic, um, whereas you know, we in the United States are privileged to be able to say like we're past it, even though there's a bunch of still a bunch of anti-vax people who refuse to get the shot and are proud about it on social media, including sports players on my team that I'm really upset with. Uh, anyway, um, so <laughs> let's just say like they're still in the midst of the pandemic in, in, um, in Toronto. So they're still under uh, some element of lockdown there, right? Um, yep. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so hopefully in Canada, I know we're trying to fast forward the um, second doses, the administration for the second doses. Uh, I think we have a better part of the country already having their first vaccination. So um, I'm hoping soon I could get my second dose. Uh, I know my my family, the rest of my family has already gotten their second dose. So it's just matter of time <laughs> for me. I know some studios and some companies, in spite of the anticipated return to quote, normal life, you know, after like vaccines are, you know, more common than not. And, you know, things have kind of like settled down a little bit. They'll still offer the option of working remotely because they sort of like realize that there are some benefits to it out, you know, outside of just like the absolute necessity of having to, because of a global pandemic, <laughs> it's shown some other positive benefits. Um, is, will your studio still make that an option? Um, I think currently we will have to keep working remotely because Technically, we don't have a physical studio to go back to right now. <laughs> so what I've heard um, from my coworkers is that they had acquired a new studio space for our department because we're kind of a sister department or sister company to a bigger animation studio. A tangent animation so i'm part of tangent interactive media so we had a space but then the pandemic hit and then they weren't able to keep that space so now <laughs> we're just all working in our pjs from home 
so yeah, we'll we'll see if there will be um, a time where we head into an office or studio again. Um, but I'm hoping that they will integrate a option system, like an option to work remotely for part of the week uh, and come into the studio for uh, the other part of the week. Awesome. Well, coming into our wrap-up part of this thing, <laughs> um, I wanted to know uh, what your outlook on the future is. You uh, have a great gig going for you now, it sounds like. Ride that till the wheels fall off, uh, is my humble uh, <laughs> advice. <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, we've, we've talked to, uh, you know, a lot of artists that like to have their sort of personal projects going that help them you seem so busy do you have time for personal work or do you want that in the future my god i'm so busy yeah um i have many ongoing personal <laughs> projects it so my challenge is finding the time to work on them um so as i mentioned i do want to uh, go back into filling with VR and implementing that in my process. And also uh, Unreal Engine just came out with their new rendering system. I think uh, I'm not familiar with the terms yet, but I've seen many of my friends making these gorgeous scenes in Unreal Engine with like a million bajillion polygons and they're lighting it beautifully and are making these, yeah, just amazing art from it. So that's also something I would like to play with. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you have engine envy, is what you're saying? A little bit. I have a little bit of FOMO, like, oh, no, I want to get in on this action. <laughs> just stop sleeping. That's what, I, that's what I'm working on. I haven't figured it out yet, I know, but right? uh, yeah, every night I try and do one minute less. Maybe I can just climb acclimate my body to just not ever needing sleep. Moose is shaking his head. I guess that's not how it works. Okay, well, whatever. Flo, <laughs> where would you like people to go to find your work and find out more about you? Um anywhere and everywhere i have an instagram i have a twitter i have an art station uh i know i need to post more i i i still do art i still do personal art i just haven't been posting um so that, that's uh, like yes, the call yeah, of the wild for these. for all, every artist that's <laughs> The immediate apology <laughs> that comes after anything social media related. I need to start posting more. It's hard, okay. <laughs> I hear you. I hear I'm you. not going to beat up anybody about it. <laughs> um, Great, thanks, Moose. Well, our trademark final question. Um, aside from personal projects or career-related things, what's one thing in the world that you're excited about? I'm excited about all the future space exploration that I've been reading about. Um, Tell so, us more. <laughs> so um, 
they I don't know how recent it is, but there's a nearby solar system that has a planet. It's a dwarf dwarf sun. Uh, I'm forgetting all the terms now, but anyways, dwarf star. There's dwarf star. Thank you. Um, and there's a planet in that solar system that may or may not be similar to Earth. So I think we are sending a satellite over there to find out more about it and see if uh, there's potential life on it. So that's something cool to think about. <laughs> but we have to go live on Mars first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mars is overrated. Um, but yeah. when you uh, when you were going over your answers before the uh, the show, because um, we do provide the guests with a preliminary list of questions so they can um, uh, jog their thoughts prior to the being on, on with us, so they don't feel uh, so um, on the on the hot seat. Um, she wrote down space to answer this question. Now she's reading it in my head is like Tim Curry in um, the <laughs> Command and Conquer, where he goes, "I'm going to the one place that isn't corrupted by capitalism." Space. <laughs> so if you haven't seen that uh just look up tim curry space on uh youtube and you'll enjoy it i don't have to i love your tim curry impersonation that was half-hearted at best <laughs> well flo Sorry, thank you thank you thank you thank you so much for spending some time with us this has been great uh your energy is great uh, the information has been wonderful, and we really appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Yay, thank you for having me. This was fun. I'll wave goodbye before I hit end on the record here.